Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. Anyone here from Longview, Texas? I hate Longview, Texas. So good that if you are, if you are, you're cool. Uh, I hate Longview, Texas. I don't hate the people. So if you were just shy and you didn't, you didn't whoop or say hi, that's fine. Um, the people are fine. <clears throat> you guys didn't do anything wrong. Those who are streaming from Longview right now, uh, you, you're a fine city. Uh, you've got a KFC. I had, a, I had a D, one of my best KFC experiences ever at a KFC in Longview. The bar is relatively low for that, but you get the idea. Um, I hate Longview, Texas because um, we got, my wife and I got in a car wreck about 13 years ago and we spent two weeks, my wife Danielle spent two weeks in a hospital in Longview, Texas. And so because of that, again, if you're from Longview or you got loved ones, great, we got no problem. But every time I hear it or think about it, my experiences in Longview have shaped, um, they've shaped my perspective Our experiences shape our perspective. One of my sons, when he was five, first time he had hot cocoa, he burned his mouth. And as a five-year-old, he then despised hot cocoa, right? Which is a five-year-old is a big deal to not like hot chocolate. Um, My wife one time got sick after eating at a great taco place. And it wasn't the taco place's fault. It was something totally unrelated. But because she got sick, now we can't go to Taco Head's. Because her experience has now shaped that, which to not be able to take my wife on a date to Taco Heads feels like an issue with our marriage now. <clears throat> right? Our experiences shape our perspective. It used to be from the beginning of time, from the beginning of time, clowns were great and they were fun and it was what you had at your birthday party. And if you would have told somebody, yeah, I want to be a clown at a birthday party, no one would have thought you're weird. And then Stephen King wrote a book called It. And now if you say that, people are going to be weirded out by you. Like our experiences shape our perspective. What we're talking about um, today, tonight, is we're going to walk through this biblical perspective, this biblical concept of the idea of God as father what it means to have God as father, who that is, what his character is as God as father. It's a common concept um, in in pretty much all faiths, uh, but specifically in Christianity. Um, What does it mean? We're going to dig into it. We're going to unpack the meaning and the personal implications of this overused and I would say potentially undervalued reality in in our faith. Um, But first, I need to speak to this dynamic that's at play in in what I just illustrated, and that's this. This entire conversation, this entire sermon hinges on the presupposition that our perspectives skew what is really true, that our experiences, that we don't see correctly, and we we don't see, that I don't see, that you don't see the depth 
of what it really means to have God as a father, because oftentimes our experiences have shaped what that reality should mean for us and the implications it should have for us, because for a lot of us, the idea and the word and the, the concept of father has been misshapen in our lives. Um, I could spend my whole life, I really believe this, um, studying this concept of God as father, biblically diving into the depths of it in a way that I really genuinely believe changes our life if we fully understand what it means to have a heavenly father who in Christ is accessible to us and how that changes everything for us. And we could spend our life digging and digging and digging and still, I think, be scratching the surface. And one day, if we're in Christ, stand before that father and say, oh my gosh, I only got a glimpse of what it meant that you were a heavenly father while I was on earth that I had access to. It is deep and it's beautiful. And it's why we're spending an entire night tonight just on this concept. But I think so often, just speaking from my experience, it's not this deep life-changing reality. It's a sentiment that I acknowledge. It's something I I nod my head to. It's a role that I would definitely uh, credit to God. Maybe, Maybe it's comfort to me at times, but not much more. Father has been misshaped so often in our lives. And there's a few ways that it happens. Um, Some of us in this room, uh, the idea of father, um, your experiences with your earthly father have um, left you really hurt and left you really broken and left you really empty in ways. And what I believe is a design that God has created to be a shadow that points to an ultimate, perfectly heavenly father, our earthly fathers who are supposed to be this so often don't. And so I want to be really sensitive tonight that I know I'm talking to people in this room who have had experiences of what that word father is supposed to mean and has not played out in ways that stir my affections for worship and comfort and freedom and life change. I'm glad you're here. I really am. I'm really glad you're here. Um, Another category is maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't have any active hurt in that relationship. There's no real active baggage with that word, Father. Praise God for that. That's, that's, that's great. But maybe it's just, yeah, but there's still some things lacking, right? It wasn't that there was this active um, hurt, but there was still some distance, and there's still some separation, and there's still some things that are, are left wanting. Or maybe it has nothing to do with your earthly experiences and maybe negative experiences with a father. Maybe instead the experience is a lack of experience, a lack of experience of really anything that's a heavenly reality. And here's what I mean by that. Maybe what's shaped our perspective of heavenly father and why that seems to be not this identity that changes us, but instead a phrase that we nod our heads to, maybe isn't hurt, maybe isn't because of an earthly brokenness. It's because it just seems very conceptual and ethereal and distant. And it's not that we've had bad experiences here. It's that we just have lacked experiences with a heavenly reality in general. It's not personal. It's not close to it. It's, just what, it's what I would call the George Washington effect, right? George Washington, forefather of our country. He's a big deal. I mean, he, he helped shape the great nation that we live in. I believe that. I know that to be true. Big, 
big George Washington guy up here. Big George Washington guy. Makes zero impact in my daily life. Right? If somebody gave a speech about George Washington, I'd be like, yeah, that guy's great. Swell guy. We love George Washington. But he's this distant thing that doesn't actually affect my daily life. I realize there are consequences that I get to benefit from for for what he did, but he doesn't affect my life. And I think so often this life-changing reality of Heavenly Father stays in the shallow end. It stays in the shallow end, and instead we say, man, that's great, but it's just not tangible. Heavenly Father is great, but it's not, I can't touch that. It's not a reality I'm I'm experiencing a lot right now, but but that, that guy over there, that is something that's tangible. That girl over there, that is something tangible. That, that the paycheck in my tangible bank account, that gives me some comfort. That gives me stability, right? My, my job, my promotion, my, my interactions on social media, all of those things feel much more tangible than this concept of a heavenly father. I think there's something broken there. And I think tonight, my hope and my prayer even leading up to this is, God, you've got to do what I can't do, what, what songs can't do. Lord, would your spirit reveal how incredible your heavenly father is. We're missing something. So wherever we find ourselves in that spectrum, with whatever, whatever experience you've had or lack of experience you've had that has shaped that perspective, my genuine hope is that that will get reshaped tonight, that that will get reshaped this week, that there will be seeds planted from God's word and his Holy Spirit that reshape that. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read scripture over us. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna jump around and, and share scripture with you showing and defining and holding up this character of who our God as a father is, and then we worship. I'm going to answer two questions with the remainder of my time. Those questions are going to be, what kind of a father is he? What is his character? And what does that mean for us tonight? Let me start with what kind of a father is he? And and like I said, I'm going to be jumping around scripture. Let me say this. You might be here and Scripture for you, the Bible for you, might be great, but it might not be this authoritative thing in your life. I love that you're here. Right? I believe that this is authoritative. Right? I believe that this is not a book of rules. Uh, this, is not the, this is not the membership pamphlet that comes with Christianity that we need to read and memorize. I believe that this is God's word shaping who he is what he looks like, how he interacts, and who we are and how we interact with him, that's what this is. And so if you're here and, you're, and I'm about to just jump into scripture and verses and, and I'm gonna stand on those authoritatively, I love that you're here. Keep wrestling with that. Um, but that's who we are. That's what we believe. And that's why we preach this thing because there's not power in my monologue. There's power in God's word through his spirit. That's what we believe. So pumped that you're here. No matter what you believe, um, I'm pumped that you're here. Here's the first characteristic I want to show us. Uh, Psalm 1830, and I'm going to put all these up on the screen also so you don't have to flip around, but if you want to jot them down in your notes, uh, I think that'd be great. But Psalm 1830, the psalmist says this. He says, this God, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Deuteronomy 32.4, I think, complements this well. Um, it's the song of Moses. Moses, towards the end of his life, in Deuteronomy uh, 30, 32, he, he is this song of Moses, kind of closing up his life, professing prophetically what he knows to be true about God. He says the rock. He describes God the Father as the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. 
a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, without sin, without imperfection, just and upright is he. We see in the New Testament in 1 John 5 that that God is light and in him there is no darkness. This book testifies time and time and time again about a reality and a characteristic of who God our Father is, which is that he is a worthy and a holy Father. That's a massive characteristic that we believe of our heavenly father, that he is a worthy and he is a holy father. And there's a million implications that hang from those two truths, that he is worthy and that he is holy, that, that Moses says he is the rock, he is without sin, he is just, he is upright. The psalmist, I will take refuge, he is perfect. He will always prevail. There, he is light, there is no darkness in him. Um, we, we see this idea of God as perfect, that our father is without mistake which is not our experience. I'm a father. It is certainly not my experience living out this reality of a father to two young boys. But here, this thing says he is perfect. This thing says he is powerful, right? This thing says that he is just, meaning for those who have experienced injustice in your life, for those who have been deeply wronged and are waiting for God to, to figure this thing out that we see in scripture, he is just, I'm gonna camp out on this idea, he's trustworthy tied to this. His worthiness is tied to the fact that we can trust him, we can believe him, that he will not let us down. We sing these songs about he won't fail us. Do we believe it? Do we believe he's trustworthy? Not always that he's going to give us what we want in our timing, but that he won't let us down. I, um, I tried to illustrate this one time this concept of why don't I trust God? Why, why do I choose so often what is right here in front of me rather than trusting God's way, what he has for me? And instead I just say, I'm just gonna go to the immediate, what's here, what's tangible. I don't trust that you're gonna give me something better. Um, and I, I did this illustration. I um, was on a mission trip. It was for a summer and I was in Russia and I was spending a bunch of time with these um, older orphan guys. They were about to age out of the orphanage. And so they're teenagers and their life was just gnarly and rough. And um, they just had just really hard lives. And so I had kind of spent the summer with them. And I remember I had this brilliant illustration to kind of illustrate this point. And, and so I, in Russia, it's called rubles. That's their denomination of, of money. <clears throat> and so I had a $5 bill. It was a five ruble, um, which is the smallest bill they had. And then I got five $20 bills of rubles, so 100 rubles, and I put it in an envelope and sealed the envelope. And so there was this guy that I had been walking with, and I was like, all right, man. And, and these guys were all just flat broke. They were all stealing from each other, and it was, a, you know, it was a thing. Like $5 isn't a ton of money, but it would have been worth it for sure. Um, it would have bought them a pack of cigarettes or something, and so it was, it was still good. And I was like, hey, I will give you this $5 right now Right, right now, you can have it, no questions asked, it's yours, spend it however you want. Or you can wait till the end of the week and I will give you this envelope and you've got to trust me that I'm saying, if you wait, this is going to be better. There's going to be something better in this. And this guy looked and he, he, took the, he looked at the $5 bill and he was like, can I see the envelope? And I had sealed the envelope because <clears throat> I like wanted to make it dramatic and he took it and he held it up to the light and you could so clearly see there were five bills. He's like, I'll do the envelope. I was like, crap, whole thing was ruined. Here's my point though. My point is we, we go with the immediate all the time. Right? I want God to prove it. 
God is holy, he's worthy, he's perfect. All of these adjectives prove it. Yes, okay, I see you're gonna be trustworthy, you're gonna come through, you're never gonna fail, prove it. I gotta hold the envelope, you gotta show me because I wanna choose what's right in front of me. I wanna choose what immediately feels good. I don't know that I really trust that you're holy, that you're worthy, that you're trustworthy as a father, so I just need what's here and now. And I think that numbs us to the depth of what it is to rest and trust in a father who just doesn't know how to let us down, but I don't know how to trust him. So I don't experience the depth of that. That leads me to my second characteristic, um, our second characteristic tonight, which is um, in Luke. I'm going to read Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 11. And this is Jesus really talking to his disciples after they've, they've asked, how do we pray and how do we ask and how do we come to you? And so Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 11, um, he tells this. He says, and, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then listen to verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And Jesus goes on in multiple other stories to talk about, and those are imperfect fathers, right? No father, if a son says, can I have a fish, is going to be like, ah, gotcha, here's a snake, right? Like, Broken, bad fathers are still going to know that that's wildly inappropriate. But God is perfect, is what Jesus says. And so if, if earthly fathers don't, here's the point he's making. Here's the way we're starting to see this characteristic of God. He is a generous and a loving father. Do we believe it? He is a generous and loving father. Again, I don't know what your experiences are earthly or if you've experienced an eternal father who has been so generous and so loving. Let me unpack a little bit of that. Generosity, right? We know he is the giver of good gifts and he's more than just Santa, right? He's not just Santa who just gives things out of benevolence. He is a father who gives things out of a deep love for us. Not because he just wants to be benevolent and and shower us with things, but because he has a deep fatherly love. I want to bless my kids and not in a prosperity way because blessing in this world we know is fleeting. And so even material blessings, that can't be his priority because we know that's all going to turn to rust. He wants to give us good, long lasting gifts, his presence, his spirit, his peace, his joy. And that whole idea of love even, Right? That word's so hijacked in our culture. Love has become emotion or love has become just tolerance of other people and how much we tolerate everyone and how much we accept them. But, but man, biblical love is this gracious idea that no matter, no matter how much sin you have in your life, Romans 5 says as sin increases, his grace abounds all the more that an aspect of God's love for you is that if you're in this room or you're watching this sermon, that if you are in Christ, you cannot outrun God's grace. That if you have submitted and surrendered and placed your faith in Christ Jesus, then that means your life is, is his and there's nothing that can pluck you out of his hand. And all of the shame that you bring into this room and, and carry in your life, all of the things that you hope other people never find out about you, your heavenly father knows and has grace 
Your heavenly father knows sin in your life that you don't even know and looks at you and says, I love you. I love you where you are, but I also love you too much to leave you there. And so we see this aspect of his love calling us out of it. His love looks like discipline. It looks like grace. It looks like generosity. But make no mistake, he is a father who loves us enough to discipline us because he cares. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. In the New Testament, the author of Hebrews says something very similar. In Hebrews 12, he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, sons and daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It's the kindness of God that would say, I love you too much, Ben, to let you stay in this. You've got to flee from this. This isn't going to be a good gift for you. This is going to rob you and steal, kill, and destroy aspects of, of the joy that I have designed, of the life and the life abundant, right? We, we've got to change our mind that hard is not bad, that cor- correction and critique and being told no, those are not unloving things. Those are massively loving. And, and the last thing I'll say about, about this characteristic of just his love, which We could do a whole semester-long series on just his love, but the last thing I'll say about it is, is, yes, it's marked by his generosity. It's marked by his grace. It's marked by his discipline, but it's also marked by his sacrifice. He's not a God that just has his arms folded and says, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be benevolent. I'm going to be disciplining them. He also says, I'm going to be in the game. I'm going to be in the game. I'm going to take their suffering. I'm going to stand in the punishment that they deserved. His love is sacrificial. You have a heavenly father who loves you enough to lay down his life for you. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love. Our very idea of love and understanding it is by this, that he laid down his life for us. And then we ought to then lay down our lives for our brothers because it's been modeled. Romans 5, 8, which which we love around here, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This reality that that God shows his love. He didn't wait for you to be worthy of his love. He is worthy, he is gracious, and he's offered it. That's the heavenly father we have. That's a characteristic of who he is. What are we gonna do with that? Third and last characteristic before we talk about what this means for us tonight is this idea that's super important that not only is he absolutely holy, absolutely worthy, absolutely generous and loving. He is also absolutely approachable and personal, right? He is an approachable and personal father to be the heavenly father, but also to be approachable. In Galatians 3, 26, we see, for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So through our faith in Christ Jesus, We are sons and daughters for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. And then what that means is all of the implications that come with being a son or a daughter under this father, Romans 8, 14 through 17. Paul says, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, which means they've been filled with the spirit of God. They're a son, they're a daughter. 
For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. He as a heavenly father who's approachable means that if you are in Christ, you have a spirit that allows you to approach a God that we have no business approaching. On our own, we have no business because he's holy, because he's worthy, because I'm not, but his grace has given us a spirit that then draws intimacy with this God, right? I, I, get, to, I get to be moved in, in worship through music, not just because the music is playing, but also because I met with that God this morning. Before my boys woke up, I got to go and approach this father and sit with him and say, God, who, who am I and who are you and what do you have for me today? And how do I glorify you? And God, my life is yours. Show yourself to me, right? I got to sit with him this morning and, and drink coffee and, and be in his word and, and, and meet with him in intimacy. That's what is available to us. And then when I don't, I get callous and I, I feel distant. But he says, approach me. I am personal. I am intimate. Abba, Father, that's who I am to you. This intimate Hebrew term to be able to approach this God. He is active. He is involved. So here's my one last question. My one last question is, what does this mean for us tonight? If I just spent 15 minutes talking about these pretty huge, broad, but massively significant characteristics of God that are biblical, we either believe them or we believe them, then what do we do with that tonight before we leave this room? Um, three things I want to challenge you, because there's a million things. There's a million things with what we, there's a lifetime of things of what to do with this reality if he's a, he's a heavenly father. Um, but here's three things. One, I think that this means we have access to a love that changes our lives. I love because he first loved me. Right, we see that in, in 1 John. I love because he first loved me. He is the source of my love. Um, and if that idea, if this, the last 15 minutes of this sermon, if it felt underwhelming for me, if it felt underwhelming for you, if it feels like old news, if it feels like something maybe you would have come into and agreed with, but it feels underwhelming, I think you've got business to do. I think in this topic, I have business to do because I don't think I really understand the depth of his love in a way that's changing my life the way the scripture calls it to, allows it to, and, and says it will. And so I think we ask ourselves the question, is my life being changed by this love of a father? Am I believing that? And when I say believing, I mean, am I living that out in my life? Am I living out the reality that I have a heavenly father who loves me no matter what? Or am I still walking in shame because I just don't believe he could love me because of what I've done and where I've been and what's happened? Or I, I don't really believe his love is that powerful because I just would rather choose the immediate over intimacy with the almighty and with heavenly that just doesn't feel as tangible right now that I don't trust that, yeah, his, his way is going to be better. Meeting with him is going to be better, but here is this right here and now. What am I replacing this fatherly love with in my life that's numbing, that's numbing the transformative affection and love 
that I'm designed for, right? We, we settle for the immediate, the tangible, the shallow alternatives. What is that in your life? I don't know. And that's not my job to tell you, but I hope God reveals it to you tonight. I hope God reveals it to me tonight and continues to reveal it to me. This is a really convicting thing to study because it reveals, gosh, there's some shallow parts of my heart. And the, the second thing I would encourage us to walk out of here with is also this idea that it means if he is a heavenly father, the way this describes what a father should look like, it means that we have access to an adoption that changes our identity. Not just access to a relationship with, with love that changes my life, but my identity is shaped differently. I, I get to receive his adoption um, my son, Charlie, is in third grade, and my wife, Danielle, teaches third grade at his school. And if you're a middle school kid or a high school kid, it's uncool if your mom teaches at school. But third graders, if you remember third grade, your teachers are the coolest. Like, your teachers are the closest thing to celebrities in your life. And so Charlie, little Charlie, third grader, his identity is shaped by the fact that he is Mrs. Fuquay's son. And we are going to milk that for all the social status we can get in third grade. I want my son to be the most popular kid because that's what matters. <laughs> but it is. It is an identity-shaping relationship, right? He's Miss Fuquay's son. We have access to a father that shapes our identity. Do we take advantage of that? Do we have the depth of a relationship with this heavenly father that shapes my identity who I am and how I live and, and how I project and how I love people. My very identity, I am his. It changes everything if I'm in Christ. Make no mistake. Listen, this is gonna be really important for, for some of you guys to hear. And I, I hope you hear this with just so much love and welcoming posture. The role of Heavenly Father, as we've described for the last 27 minutes, as I've gotten to unpack the role of heavenly father, this beautiful role, these beautiful characteristics, they are not a static reality for everyone. He might not be your father. I think it's really important that I don't just blow through that reality. Um, you might not be his yet. John chapter one, verses 12 through 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so I, I want to take a little very careful aside. Um, the, the person of God, we believe God is three in one. He is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're going to get to just zoom in on one aspect of this triune God we worship, right? And a little teaser if you show up in October to renovate, we might just be talking about God as Son. And if you show up in November, we might just be talking, zoomed in on the aspect of God as Holy Spirit. Just a little teaser for you. But, but tonight, as we look at this idea of He is a Father who has adopted us, He is a Father who has adopted those who have said yes. He is a father who has adopted and all of these characteristics and his overwhelming grace and his kindness and his, and his loving discipline to, to set you free from stuff, even though it hurts at times, those are available for those who have seen the gospel and said yes to it. The gospel that our Holy Father said, I want you to approach me, but you aren't worthy. And so I'll send my son, God in flesh, dies on a cross, raises again. And we believe 2000 years ago, that changed everything. 
And that now when we put our faith in Christ as our only access, as forgiveness of our sins, our sins have broken this relationship. Our sins have kept us and keep us from experiencing a relationship with the heavenly father. Our sin did that. Your sin did that. My sin did that. And the only hope I have is not to get cleaned up and not to come to enough church services. My only hope is to say, Jesus, I need you. You are the only hope for the cleansing once and for all of my sins. Saved, adopted, still imperfect. Like Michael said at the beginning of the service, still imperfect, still a room full of broken people, still living that out, but confident in our salvation and being sanctified and matured. That's what we sign up for. And when that happens, put our faith in the Son, the Holy Spirit, then comes and indwells in us. That's the reality of what it means. And that might not be the reality for you. And I love that you're here. I love that you're here. You need to know what we believe. And you need to not leave here thinking, well, this God's great. And I guess it's available. His adoption is available for all of us. And his adoption changes our identity if we say, yes, I want that. Or we leave it on the table. This is what we're designed for. We're designed to be in that relationship. And it leads me to my final point. And that's this. Um, all, of, all of this reality and characteristics of who God is, it means that we have access to the Father that you were designed for. You're designed for it. You're made for it. You will be searching for this. You are made to be in relationship with the God of the universe. You are his creation. I am his creation. He is the creator. It impacts everything. Right? If you came in here weighty and broken and weary tonight, it means that we have a father who is powerful enough to heal or to carry you or to correct you. It means you have a father who is trustworthy to not fail you or neglect you. You have a father who's filled with grace for you. You have a father who is actively loving you and calling you to a richer and deeper life. He is here. He is approachable. Isaiah 64, 8, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. So our prayer is, God, mold us. Mold us to look more like you. Mold us to be in relationship with you. Mold our minds and our hearts and our calluses and our coldness and the walls that we build and the perspectives that we have. Break them down. What we would do is that he would take broken perspectives and stale, cold hearts and, and distant numbness to an ethereal God that doesn't feel close. And God, would you change our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit? We believe you. Would you do it? Let me pray. God, we desire to draw near to your heart, God. We desire to not only draw near to your heart with whatever baggage we have tonight, with whatever preconceived notions we have attached to this word or even just, just distance from something that just doesn't feel tangible. We don't just want emotion tonight, God. We want your presence. We don't want just to have an emotionally good and happy week. Would you protect this sermon? Would you protect these worship songs from not just inspiring a lot of great emotion that will be completely gone by tomorrow morning? But God, would your spirit take truth that was said from your word and would you bury it in our hearts and would you give us new hearts to see you as the heavenly father that you are and it changes everything for us. 
Would you do what only you can do for your glory in our lives? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.